Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we discuss issues that the ancient peoples dealt with and how it relates to our world today. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. And today is one of our Q&As, or as we call quote and answers, mm -hmm. where we take four quotes, two each, of, uh, uh, you know, from an ancient thinker. So, yeah, philosopher, philosopher, historian, orator, politician, someone. <laughs> and then we commented on our own lives and in the world today. Yeah. So Shane, you're gonna you've got your first one. Yeah. So uh, this one was is a little bit different. It's from an Indian philosopher, uh, Nagarjuna, uh, circa 200 of uh, yeah, circa 200 CE. I have no idea if I pronounced that properly because I don't know how to pronounce Indian names very well. But uh, although you may spend your life killing, you will not exhaust all of your foes. But if you quell your own anger, your real enemy will be slain. Oh, okay. He was a Buddhist philosopher. A Buddhist philosopher. That kind of falls in suit. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I really like this one. Um, and I think it really f suits with Buddhist philosophy. I don't know a ton about Buddhist philosophy, let's be honest. But uh, from the little bit that I do know, I think it suits very well because it's all about... this. To me, this quote is all about mastering yourself. And it's about mastering what's inside of you. Yeah, there is that recognition in Buddhism that we... Many of us have a dark side, mm -hmm. you know, that we have to be careful that we don't uh, open the door for it to come out. Uh, therefore, trying to find uh, certain strategies, meditation, uh, prayer in that case, or, uh, def you know, in many cases, there's also the denial of personal pleasures as well as mm -hmm. a way to tame the 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 dark side of our souls. Yeah, I guess it's the idea being that, um, you know, train yourself to live without these frivolities, you know, these these unnecessary things. The bare necessities, I suppose. It's a hard thing that I think to sell because myself, I enjoy the the gentle pleasures in life. I mean, I have, I enjoy my family. I enjoy a good day of sunshine. I enjoy a wonderful day of winter. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy... A good meal. I enjoy. I would say relatively simple. I certainly enjoy travel. Uh, I enjoy listening to audiobooks. I enjoy. I enjoyed reading. Uh, mm. So I, I. I've often reflected on that. My personal tastes and what motivated me, what gave me pleasure, was fairly modest stuff. Yeah. Um, I wasn't out there to conquer the world. I found it interesting to study the process by which. <laughs> sometimes I think are psychopaths <laughs> who go around conquering parts of the world for some kind of glory. And yet it's so fleeting. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, of all the great victories, military victories are the most fleeting mm -hmm. and military secrets are the most fleeting. You, you can't, it just doesn't last. There's just endless competition, I guess, in that case. Well, and we, we did mention in a previous episode that lasting change tends to come from slow processes. Uh, overnight change tends to be rather fleeting and inconsequential. There are exceptions, obviously, but, um, pardon me, geez, uh, real substantive changes does tend to be a slower process. You know, that, that, that quote has a good point about if you just try to take on the whole world and treat the whole world as your enemies and you're going to conquer them or kill them all or whatever, mm -hmm. good luck. Yeah. Your, your enemies will never cease. They will always be there. Well, they may take a hiatus. Yeah. 
if you overwhelm them for a period of time, but they will always find a way to come back. Well, and, and the thing that I kind of take away from this quote as well, with the idea that, you know, you will never exhaust all your foes, is that let's say that you do conquer the entire world. You're still going to have foes left, right, and center, but now they're going to be within your own cabinet. They're going to be within your own ranks, because there's no way that one individual amasses ultimate power without stepping on some toes along the way. Or without amassing a group around he or she, it's usually a he, unfortunately, usually, yes. uh, who doesn't think themselves as capable of taking over the job. That's true. To, to use a, um, a fictional example, but I think a very prevalent one, anyone who's a fan of Star Wars... The Sith Lords and their rule of two, and the whole idea being that one is the master, one is the apprentice, and the apprentice takes over when he is strong enough to overthrow the master. Or, if he tries and fails, he gets executed, and then the master takes on a new apprentice. Didn't we have an episode of Star Trek where they went <laughs> to sort of an alternate universe where the Enterprise was a military vessel yes and, and and officers moved up in rank by assassinating the ones ahead of them <laughs> yes they did i forgot about that one but i am familiar with that uh but yeah I, if you think about it, the endless warfare that has gone on in human history has in a way been kind of pointless because there's always a usurper that comes along in a relatively short time and will reconquer or a dynasty with some exceptions, a dynasty lasts maybe three, four generations before you get an idiot mm -hmm. uh, who who gets bequeathed the throne and doesn't have anywhere near the skill set to maintain it or ends up having to be so brutal that you have insurrection rise up because people are just... They yeah. don't, you don't give them a choice. Well, the, the Mongol Empire is a prime example of that where Genghis Khan unified the Mongolia, conquered the northern portion of China, conquered the Middle East, and by the time, I mean, he passed oh, yeah, away. Central and the, Asia, of course. And, yeah. and then the, the empire continued to expand after he had passed away for a time, but after Kublai Khan, it all sort of fell apart. So, Well, that's the there, story over and over again in human history. And, and that's it, right? Oh, like yeah. he, he forged the single largest land empire the, the world has ever seen, and the whole thing was gone within, like you said, Four generations, I think. And then the whole thing fell apart. Even the British Empire. Yeah. And we, we were kind of part of it. Yeah. Uh, after a time, also irrelevancy comes in. Yeah. What a, you know, it's a fascinating quote to think about that because the, uh, the philosopher that wrote that, I mean, he reflects that Buddhist idea that is it really... Yeah. I, that's a that has certainly given me some thought yeah. to think about how relevant. Like I said, I, I like the the dichotomy of it where it's external foes will never never end. Uh, like we said, for various reasons, but then you focus on the internal, and the real enemy will be slain. You can be at peace with yourself. I quite I really like that one. Gotcha. Well, my quote is coming from a Roman we haven't heard of before. Okay, Marcus uh, Marcus Porcus Cato. Uh, the way he wrote about this one is interesting with some of the issues going on right now in North American politics. After I'm dead, I'd rather be... Sorry, let me start again. After I'm dead, I'd rather have people ask why there is no monument to me than ask why there is a monument to me. Oh. It's not a little different. That, I was going to say, it's very, it's very different because, you know... Huh. So why... That's, 
That's something, when it caught me, I thought, that's an interesting, because we have this whole idea of statue worship, that we throw in statues. And we do have an issue going on in the United States about what do you do about all those statues to Confederate generals and leaders Mm -hmm. put up decades after the actual war as part of the rewriting of history, you know, the lost cause and all that kind of stuff. And and, uh, to those who may listen to it in the southern states, it's 165 years ago. Can we let it go? <laughs> well, we have issues in our country that yeah. are, have haunted us for 150 years as, as well. But we have to also work through and and, and let them go. Well, and on, on that note in Canada, I was actually going to bring up a similar kind of thing. It's it's less prevalent than the issue in the United States, as far as I'm aware, with the, the Confederate statues, for instance. Um, but I've definitely heard a similar story with statues of John A. MacDonald, who is the founder of Confederation, or he's known as the father of Confederation in Canada. He was our first prime minister. Um, Sort of the Canadian George Washington. Um, But he was also not very kind to the indigenous peoples of North America. And he selected other men to manage, uh, they called it Indian Affairs, is what it was called at the time, who were not... Yeah, sympathetic of issues and had any kind of forward vision of what they were going to do in the right way. Exactly. So because of that, there's a similar issue where, okay, he was the father of confederation. He's seen as the father of Canada and is this, he's this huge historical figure for us. But then there's all this stuff with the indigenous peoples, the, the Indian Affairs Act and whatnot, as it was called. And how, so how there there's that issue of how do we celebrate this individual who had these terrible ideas, ideals uh, for this particular group of people. And is it morally right to celebrate this individual? I guess personally, I still think a statue should remain, but if, cause if you take it away, then there's no point of starting a conversation mm-hmm. to address the issue. If it stays up, but is modified to say, okay, on the good things, we acknowledge this. But this is also what happened, therefore let's talk about it. Maybe a, a better attribute than just tearing down a statue. Because again, if it's removed, it's no longer in the public consciousness, therefore the topic doesn't necessarily get discussed. That's a really good point. And in a, <clears throat> in a strange twist, the, the studio Warner Brothers actually dealt with this because... If you think back to old cartoons from the 1950s, let's say. Oh, yeah. They had a little bit of racism in those. Exactly. They they are, in modern times, a lot of them are very inappropriate. There's a lot of stereotypes that are presented that are racist in nature. Um, And so Warner Brothers had to deal with that in a modern modern, uh, scope and try and figure out how do we address that. And I actually really like the way that they did it, where... I don't know if it was a specific DVD collection or, or what it was, but I do know that there was a disclaimer. I believe it was Whoopi Goldberg who who was the one speaking and, and was filmed doing this, where she presented on behalf of Warner Brothers a statement saying that, basically, we understand that this is inappropriate now, it's unacceptable now, it is a reflection of the time in which it was made. Back in the 1950s, these ideas were not as dangerous or they weren't seen as dangerous or hurtful as they are now. It's a reflection of the time in which it was made. 
and Warner Brothers felt that it would be irresponsible to pretend that it never happened. I remember as a kid, my parents, my mom in particular, taking me to see the movie Song of the South. Oh, yeah, with um, Zippity-Doo-Dah. Zippity-Doo-Dah and stuff like that. And I was too young to get the any of the... I mean, other than the songs, and it was stuff yeah. like that. I, I do understand why it is a sensitive one for, for African-Americans uh, to this day, because it, it created that idea that subservience was perfectly acceptable and made me, you know, I was happy being that kind of way. And other issues. However, it is a point of learning. I mean, you and I are two, for lack of a better word, white guys. Yep. However, I think our interest in history is we work at being the best we can to be open, to not be judgmental. I know myself, I do believe, and it sounds like an odd excuse, I do remember on the year 2000 when the Human Genome Project was finally revealed that all humans on this planet, not that we didn't know it already, are all the genetically the same species. Yeah. I remember thinking in my head, from a little scientific point of view, well then if we're all the same species, why do we worry about our hair color, our eye color, our skin color? We're all the same. We're human beings. Yep. We should get past this because I think of all the wasted talent Mm-hmm. that has been lost in history due to, cult, I guess it's racial de- segregation, that we treat people yeah. as being different and yet we're, we're, we're all the same. Yeah, and, um, and sexism as well. I mean, Oh yeah, that's for, another one. For the, the whole of human history, we didn't care about 50% of the population. Or so, th- they were given no important roles, no responsibility, no clout, like nothing. So going back to Cato, it's interesting to think that I would rather be, I would rather be remembered by society without a statue, than to have simply a statue put up. I think, and then that's our excuse for forgetting. Yeah, it's always there. It will remind us. We don't have to work at the remembering. Mm-hmm. I, and that is interesting. Yeah. That, that that has caught me as a well. I, when I saw it, I it, it made me think about how it's relevant to what we're struggling with. Some current issues identification issues both in the United States and Canada as we as we figure the role that our societies will play as we roll further into mm-hmm. the 21st century yeah and we we made a reference to Star Trek and Star Wars earlier and I just want to bring bring one back because you, you mentioned about the the human genome project and finding out you know everyone is made of the same stuff and we're exactly. all the same species and whatnot um, when Star Trek The Next Generation first aired, Gene Roddenberry was asked about uh, casting a man, a bald man, as the, the, so Patrick Stewart, as the role of the captain on the ship. And the journalist, or whoever it was, asked, surely by the 24th century there would be a cure for male pattern baldness. Oh, okay. And Gene Roddenberry's response was, by the 24th century, we won't care. It might be. I mean, you think about the brilliance of Star Trek. It's one of my favorite shows. The the fact that it had a multiracial crew in the nineteen sixties and had women on the deck, like on the yeah, on the bridge, on the bridge, uh, and stuff like that, and an I, officer's role. I think it had a subconscious effect on me growing up in my generation. Where it's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I notice it within well, the re- next generation, my kids' generation, and my nephews and nieces. They, it's like, oh, okay. Racism and sexism are taught behaviors. <laughs> they are taught behaviors. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's hope we move forward. Yeah. So Shane, what's your next quote? All right. So for my next quote, we're visiting an old friend, Epicurus. Ah, yes. Yeah. Let's party. 
Um, sort of, this is sort of the opposite, actually. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the wealth required by nature is limited and easy to procure, but the wealth required by vain ideals extends to infinity. Ah, uh, that's a kind of an environmental thought. It is. It Well, and it's sort of... Um, it's To me, it's, it's an environmental thought, but it's also... Um, against the accumulation of wealth for no reason as well, right? Like, it's 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 against vanity and and putting on the show and the facade. That's sort of my interpretation of it. You know, living a simplistic life is, is, is simple, it's easy, it's achievable, but it's all the trappings of vanity and wealth and spectacle that make things complicated. Yes, yes. That is, I, that actually, I find that actually is mm, deep a thought. For me, it opens up a, a channel of thinking. Um, read it again, just so I yeah. can absorb it. Cause the, yeah. Uh, the wealth required by nature is limited and easy to procure, but the wealth required by vain ideals extends to infinity. That's right. Your Nature can offer you only so much, but if you have unlimited desires, you'll never be satisfied. Well, it's to, to bring it back to a children... You, or, or sorry, I finished your thoughts. Sorry, sorry, my thought is... Therefore, if you are vain, therefore, if you are greedy, that's a simple word, mm-hmm. nothing will satisfy that ambition and you become dangerous. Yeah. It sort of ties into my previous one, actually, if you think about it, just in a different way. Um, but based on what you just said, it, to me, it's the ideal of um, anyone familiar with the children's book uh, or the children's story, if you give a mouse a cookie. If you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk. And the whole idea of the story is that there's a, a mouse asking for a cookie, and so someone finally gives the mouse a cookie, but then the mouse gets the cookie, and, well, I need a glass of milk with my cookie. Okay, well, then they get a glass of milk, and then, oh, well, I, I don't need know a, this story. You don't know this one? No. Oh, yeah, I, I remember reading this as a kid. So then after the mouse gets a glass of milk with his cookie, well, then he needs a napkin to wipe his mouth oh. off. So then he's, and it's, it's always needs one more, one more, one more, one more. Yeah, I remember reading that in like I second grade. I don't know the story, but I get the drift of it. See, it's funny how many times I've brought this up in philosophical discussions, and not a lot of, people either know exactly what I'm talking about or stare at me like but I'm crazy. But it's the same as the camel that wants to stick his nose in the tent, and then wants <laughs> okay, to stick his head lost. in the tent. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's a Middle Eastern story that it it kind of emphasizes that there are people who will kind of pester you to get things from you by inch by inch by inch. And not be direct about it. I, at least that's my interpretation yeah. of the camel story. Well, and, and you can you know crank this up to uh, with modern economics, where you've got these billion-dollar companies and these Fortune 500 companies that pay absolutely nothing in income taxes. You know, they take and take and take, and then they don't give anything back right? and destroy environmental. Yeah. If it's a forestry company, now we live in a country where forestry is a major industry. It is, yeah. And there, it's the regulations have now have kicked in where you can't clear cut. Yeah, though there was an issue going out in uh, the western part in British Columbia about a lot, an old growth uh, forest as two percent only is left, and they want to even cut that down. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but you know, and 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 we have mining which people don't see as much because it's underground. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we live in a city where we have a... We, the miners go down 6,000 feet. So, you know, put that into perspective, that's four and a half times the height of the Empire State Building. Oh, wow. Uh, it takes an hour, actually, to travel from the surface to down to the, uh, you know, the ore body front, like the face, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, so we are, you know, exploiting the natural resources of the planet. And, of course, we're... 
concern these days that our economic activity or industrial activity in particular as human beings is changing the actual climate mm -hmm. of the planet. Is all that worth it if we literally destroy out the the basis of our survival yeah. by, you know, the resources that we rely on? If every in or who was it that said that? If every insect on the planet died, all year would oh sorry, all life would cease within a year. If every human being on the planet died within a year, all life would flourish. <laughs> Who's the parasites on this world? <laughs> yeah, all I right. mean, we 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 humans cannot we can be. We did for forty fifty thousand years. Yeah, we were a part of the ecosystem without mm -hmm. really damaging it. And that's the scary thing for me nowadays is I'm strongly of the opinion that there's the there's no reason why we can't live in a utopia. There's no reason why we can't live in complete harmony with the planet. We choose not to. And by we, I mean wealthy elites, people with the decision-making power at, based on their wealth and their income have decided not to because it doesn't accrue as much wealth for them. But they also play upon our micro vanities mm -hmm. by trying to sell us stuff that is yeah that's very true i will absolutely accept that all right well the final <laughs> yeah, quote comes got from confucius ah and as i've been reading confucius and i recently listened to an audiobook that talked about confucius thinking i must admit i understand why in particular in china there is a great admiration for this thinker yeah his lines are a very simple line he who will not economize will have to agonize <laughs> Which I think is a lead on. From I was going to say that. Talked. Yeah, that ties very closely into what we were just talking about. Yeah. And basically, if you cannot control yourself and you think you can have anything you want, and this includes the very wealthy, yep. then eventually you will agonize. You will either destroy the network that supports you or destroy the economy that, dis that supports you, or, worst case, the environment. Yep. The actual natural living world. Mm -hmm. If you think, well, I own this forest. I'm going to cut down a tree and make a lot of money selling f lumber. Yeah. But I don't have to plant a tree back. I just expect Mother Nature somehow to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You'll make money for a short period of time, but not for a long time. That's something that really drives me nuts with um, uh, the oil industry because it's a finite resource. We know it's a finite resource. It will run out at it some point. It absolutely is guaranteed to run out one day. And oil companies, left, right, and center, are blocking every alternative that they possibly can. They're trying to do whatever they can to block clean energy and wind power and solar power and uh, like hydrogen-powered vehicles and electric cars. They're doing everything they can to stop those. And it boggles my mind because you are selling something that is going to run out. I don't understand why they don't embrace the change and get on the forefront of this. You can keep making billions of dollars hand over fist, but you can do it the right way and you can help save the economy and the environment in the process. Yeah, I mean, the petroleum companies are, in a sense, pretty easy targets because it's pretty obvious that's the situation mm -hmm. in terms of they don't have any idea of economizing. There was, you know, any attempt in the previous five decades, sorry, five decades, to bring aboard alternate energy devices were heavily suppressed by oil companies in either clandestine ways or even upfront ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, now it is, although say companies like Shell 
uh, you know, and stuff. They are starting to create divisions where they look at a t- alternative energy. Yeah. Because they know at some point they have to transition if they want to remain a energy yes. industry. Well, and, and part of that too is that there are, there was a, a ruling in the Netherlands a couple of weeks back where I, I don't know the details of it, but it was the first time where a government a government body actually put a sanction on a private industry saying, no, no, you have to comply with these orders by this. Time. And it was it was against Shell, actually. Uh, for they, they were sanctioned and told to comply with environmental regulations that were coming through in the next couple of years. Yeah, and that actually court reading had an extension beyond the Netherlands itself because mm-hmm. Shell is... A, a Dutch company. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're based in the Netherlands. Okay. It was their also their international yeah. operations had to comply to Dutch law. Yeah. Actually, oh. uh, because the Hague is in the Netherlands it's, as yep. well, it was actually European law. So, and that was the part I wasn't sure about because I'd read that it was the Hague, but I wasn't sure if it was international law or if it was just within the Netherlands. And don't underestimate the ability that Brexit was a way for the British to not have to comply to that legal process. Oh. Yeah, because that court case has been in the courts for four years. Okay. So there was there has been issue that part of the motivation of Brexit was to break away from Britain so it didn't have to comply with it for those that have a vested interest in maintaining their North uh, North Sea and international investments. Oh, so once again, let's sacrifice people, the economy, and the environment for the sake of a couple of bucks. Well, you know, there's a short story going right now. I didn't follow the story much before. I had been involved with green politics in the past, literally with the Green Party. Uh, and, and, and let's see, left of center is I'm concerned that uh, there needs to be a conscientious, bigger picture look at how to maintain our natural environment. Mm-hmm. If we create a tipping point in our natural environment where things start to really collapse very quickly, the acceleration could be so fast when you got 8 billion people on this planet that suddenly find themselves, I don't think we would, I don't think the loss of food would be a very quick thing because we no. actually produce almost twice as much food as we eat on this planet yeah. now. But it doesn't take much when you have complex societies that one or two pieces break, and then suddenly it's a chain effect. Yeah, there, there. Yeah, if one thing goes, there's going to be a cascade effect that drops everything after it. Well, think of how complex our lives are these days. It's not like eighty percent of us go out and work a field yeah. and farming. You know, we have to deal with finances, getting paid, bank accounts, internet accounts. Uh, well, taxation systems that are very yeah. complex. Well, and, and look at how disruptive it was to world trade when that one ship got stuck in the Suez Canal <laughs> well, a couple a months ago. There's a good example. There was, so that was a cargo vessel that was trapped in the Suez Canal off the Mediterranean. Was it five days or something like that? Yeah, and there was a bike shop here in town where the owner was featured in the local newspaper saying, I can't repair bicycles because I have parts on that ship that I'm waiting for. <laughs> oh, man. I there, had forgotten about that. That's there, right. Yeah, there were uh, some family friends of, of, my, of my parents, um, knew people who were moving to Malaysia, and their furniture and their stuff was on that ship. By the time they got their cargo, after their move to Malaysia, the clothes didn't fit their kids anymore. Oh and that was one ship that got stuck in a canal. Like, that's how interconnected things are. So, yeah, oh, yeah, we're living a better life than we've ever had before. And humanity is as great as it ever was. But one tiny little domino falls and the whole thing comes down. 
I guess I should use a house of cards instead of domino reference, but it still works. That's uh, well, you know, <laughs> for our listeners, we appreciate it. if you ever wanted to send in your comments about what you think about that. Um, we have got a lot of feedback from our Q and A episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, more than our regular episodes, which it's, it's fine. It's not you know not that. It, it, <laughs> we like feedback. As we like we're feedback, <laughs> but we do find that we think we've hit a real spot because we we recognize that. We, we choose these quotes so that people, ourselves in particular, but other people who listen, think about what has been said before and how relevant it is to our world today or to our personal lives. So I think today's extra long episode, I think, really hit a point as we, uh, I think we had four really, really interesting episodes, uh, quotes in this case. Shane, the quotes you gave me, I had no knowledge ahead of time, but they got me thinking. Right. Yours too. <laughs> and we got that. So thank you very much for our for listening uh we always appreciate any feedback check out our social media links and our other online content and we know that the thoughts of our ancient ancestors and what they addressed still are relevant to our world today anyways i'm gordon and i'm shane and again thank you for listening <laughs>